The following is a message by Rev. C.J. Dendulk at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. I want to say thank you for all of your kindness. Uh, What a, a gift from God to be able to come back to Westminster Seminary after... 20 years or so being away from here and uh, kind of just parachute in here and uh, sit in on some classes and hear some lectures. And one student uh, said after a lecture here with Dr. Godfrey, he said, was that pretty much what you had 20 years ago? I says, yeah, that's pretty much. And I think even Dr. Godfrey's tie is the same too. So <laughs> it's very rare to come to a seminary where they still stay faithful 20 years later, even in what they wear. That's um, remarkable. That's great. Um, I'd like to ask you if you would take your Bibles, and as we consider uh, this whole idea of going pastoral, we'll turn to one of the pastoral letters, 2 Timothy uh, chapter 2, 2 Timothy chapter 2, and um, I'd like us to read uh, together from God's Word, verses 22 through the end of uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning at verse 22, and what you're about to hear now is the very word of God. Flee the evil desires of youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Do not have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth and that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. May the Holy Spirit uh, help us to hear the word and be doers of the word and to be faithful as servants of the Lord. Um, I enjoy these cartoons from Larson called The Far Side. He doesn't do them anymore, but um, they've been a great help to me in life to kind of uh, be balanced, and there's one particular uh, cartoon I remember of these two bucks, and they're standing on hind legs, big deer antlers, and one of them has a target, like right on his chest, and the two uh, bucks are having this conversation, and the one buck says to the one that has the target right on his chest, bummer of a birthmark, and um, as I think about going pastoral, and think about pastors in the ministry, and Westminster Seminary. In a sense, we have a target because the devil, as we uh, just read here in our passage and throughout the Bible, the devil uh, hates pastors and he hates seminaries who are faithful to the gospel, who are valiant for truth, who not only preach and proclaim God's truth but defend it against errors and heresies. And so all of you know It's a high calling and a privilege to go pastoral, to be a pastor, and yet each of us has a target. The enemy will do whatever he can in his wily ways to discourage you, to get us distracted, 
to get us caught up in some of the things here that the Apostle Paul, as he knows, he's coming to the end of his mission, having fought the good fight, lovingly giving these instructions to young Pastor Timothy, knows the devil has crafty, wily ways to get us caught up in his tricks so that we are out of the will of God in terms of a pastor or a, a servant of the Lord. You notice the language there. A servant of the Lord must not be quarrelsome. And it has uh, allusions back to Isaiah 53, does it not? The suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, our Lord Jesus, who was faithful to the will of God, proclaimed the truth, lived the truth, and yet when he was opposed, he did not respond back in a way of retaliation, but entrusted all things to our Heavenly Father. We are targets, and we need to be aware of that. We need to help each other, pray for each other, and ask that the Holy Spirit will uphold and make us strong so we don't go down to defeat in this mighty spiritual struggle and also in this call to be pastors. So what I'd like to do in chapel today is just make our way through uh, the instructions in these verses here, hopefully to apply them for your encouragement, for the edification of God's church, and um, also for a blessing to Westminster Seminary. Notice, uh, first of all, this command. It's a negative type of uh, language, but yet very important. Verse 22, flee the evil desires of youth. The Apostle Paul is telling young Pastor Timothy there serving the Lord in the city of Ephesus. The word flee... I don't know where you were on 9-11, but just as I mention that, I'm sure you can um, remember the images, um, the sights, the sounds of the World Trade Center towers in New York. And the first one, I remember coming down, and do you remember what people were doing who had just come out of the building? They were fleeing. They were running for their life in terror and urgency. And when we read a word like flee, the evil desires of youth, it's that sense of urgency, that that sense of danger, that the Apostle Paul, knowing how easy it is to get tripped up in the devices of the evil one, Timothy, run for your spiritual life. Run for the spiritual well-being of the church from these kinds of things that are more characteristic of youthfulness. Flee the evil desires of youth. Um, Probably in a first reading of this, we may think of sensual, sensual sins or sexual evil desires. And of course, in a general sense, that's true. Uh, in a seventh commandment that's sense, that's always true. But here, in these pastoral instructions, it's much more than just sexual evil desires that pastors are to flee from. It is inclusive also of temptations, uh, evil desires that are characteristic of young people. John Calvin says this, young men become much more heated than older mature men in controversy, more easily angered, make more mistakes from lack of experience, rushing into things hastily with greater rashness and boldness. These are some of the kind of temptations that are prone to young pastors. 
uh, to be headstrong, um, impatient with others' slowness in their progress of sanctification, immature conduct, um, quick to criticize, to be contentious. I know another one that is a very strong temptation for young pastors is the desire for novelty. And I'm very thankful for Westminster Seminary, again, in many ways, that give us careful instruction from God's word not to fall prey to this temptation to just buy into whatever is new, or as uh, C.S. Lewis says, kind of chronological snobbery. Because we are new, we have to be better. Not too long ago, we had uh, an old-fashioned, what I call church wedding in our church, Um, We had a widow and a widower, and they were uh, seniors in life, and they desired to be married. And what we do then is we have a wedding in our evening church service where I preach God's word on marriage. And then after the sermon and prayer, the widow and widower come up before the pulpit, and they um, say their marriage vows, pronounce them as husband and wife with the whole covenant community, and then afterwards we go and we share their joy and, and refreshments and so forth afterwards. I try to encourage young couples to consider church weddings, but um, it hasn't caught on, um, except for dads of the brides. They're all for it. They like the simplicity of it and getting back to the scriptures and probably saving a lot of money. But church weddings. Anyways, after this church wedding, of course, they had all kinds of visitors. There was an older, godly man from another church. And he came up to me and he said, you know what? It was so good to be in a traditional Christian Reformed church. And I kind of understand what he means by traditional Christian Reformed church. And he went on to lament that in his local congregation, the elderly people are being more and more disenfranchised and set aside, and he's a godly man with a love for Christ, with wisdom from the scriptures, talents to play the organ, and they reduced him to maybe playing once a month. And what is happening is a younger pastor is going along with just what is new and novel and contemporary, not that contemporary in itself is evil. We always have to base things on scripture, good theology, good music, blend those together. But it's sad when a young pastor falls into the temptation of the novelty and then runs roughshod over God's people whom we all need each other. And we need the wisdom of elderly Christians who've gone before us, who have a ton of practical biblical experience and knowledge that a young person and young pastors like ourselves need to pray and thank God for them and learn from them and learn how to connect with the help of the Holy Spirit generations within the covenant community. One great way I want to give you by way of suggestion to do that, instead of falling into the prey of novelty and going to the sixth next best thing to hit the church, is to get to know these very seasoned, older brothers and sisters in the Lord and connect them with younger generations in the church. One way we do that at Trinity that's been so helpful during our catechism classes for high schoolers, whenever we get to the doctrine of providence, we'll have a lesson on that. And then the following week, uh, what we do is I'll have a panel of 
different members in the church. Older members, widows, widowers, singles, young couples that you know have gone through not only times of prosperity and blessing from God our Heavenly Father, but also times of adversity. where They had to learn to be patient and, and trust God. And so often, 40 or so high schoolers will sit there and they'll listen to elders talk about when they were teenagers and how they came to know the Lord and their profession of faith and the trials and adversities they've gone through and just impressing upon a younger generation how faithful God is. And young people, trust him. Trust his wisdom. Trust his knowledge. Trust his power. All working together for your good and for your salvation. And as you learn to connect these generations, the church is so blessed And it helps young pastors like ourselves avoid the temptation of of these evil desires somehow to think that the old just don't get it, they're too old-fashioned, and disenfranchise them and just go with the new and the novelty. Does that make sense? I hope that's very helpful. Um, Another desire, an evil desire that is so um, common to, to young pastors And to all of us, but um, for young pastors especially to watch out is envy or jealousy. I remember reading, I can't remember the name of the pastor, but he was a local pastor um, along with Charles Spurgeon. And he would watch people by the hundreds and the thousands go to hear Spurgeon preach. And he struggled with jealousy and embassy because he had such a small church. And the Holy Spirit convicted him and worked on him, and he changed. And what he began to do was pray for God to continue to bless Charles Spurgeon's preaching of the gospel. And you know what happened? God blessed Spurgeon's preaching so much, the crowds were becoming too large that many of the overflow of his crowds began to go to this other pastor's church. And his church began to grow, and he began to shepherd more and more people. And I thought, what a marvelous biblical way to overcome these youthful, evil desires and temptations to be envious of other servants of the Lord. Replace the envy with praying for other servants of the Lord, thanking God for them, asking the Holy Spirit to bless them and to bless the preaching of the gospel um, in the churches that God has called them to. It's a real temptation. It's one we struggle with all of our time. But if we can learn to pray and thank God and overcome these temptations of envy, uh, God will not only help us go pastoral, but he'll bless his church and he'll bless you and keep you safe from the wiles of the evil one. And then the Apostle Paul says, not only flee such evil desires of youth, but positively pursue run after, so as to attain and to get. And he lists some qualities that he mentions elsewhere in 1 Timothy. He says, pursue righteousness. Righteousness is the idea of being a godly, Christ-like pastor, obedient to God's precepts and commandments and the gospel's morality, always with the help of the Holy Spirit. Now, Derek... uh, had a little slip here when introducing me and referred to me as Jesus. But I want to tell you, uh, this happens. One time I was at a gas station in our town 
we have this young um, family. It's amazing. This is the joy of being a pastor to watch the sovereignty of God and his grace. A young mother, she's married to a man who is an unbeliever, and she has a sister in our church who's also married to her brother. Um, Both of these men currently are unbelievers. They grew up in a home where they don't believe in God, don't go to church or anything like that, but they let their wives go to church. And this one mother decided she needed to bring up her three young children that God blessed her with to church. She knew something about God, but really didn't know Jesus as her Lord and Savior, and decided that it would be good for her kids to go to Sunday school with their cousins. Well, in God's providence, she was going to Sunday school, and as you know, God's word is powerful. And God's sovereign plan doesn't have plan B. His plan will always be accomplished. He has his elect, and she's going over Sunday school lessons with her children. She's sitting in church, and God opens her heart, and she repents, trusts in the Lord Jesus, and joins the church. Shortly after that, I'm at this gas station, and she's driving up with her two twin boys and her young two-and-a-half-year-old Katuri at that time. And the little Katuri notices me pumping gas in the car, and she said, look, Mom, there's Jesus. And her mother, thankfully, quickly said, no, that's not Jesus, but that's our pastor who teaches us about Jesus. And, of course, I thanked her for that. And I got in my car, and I was smiling about this, and I was humbled and also in fear and trembling. And I prayed, Lord, don't let me fail, little Kateri. She thinks I'm Jesus. She'll get it as she grows. But the words of Jesus came to me at that moment. If you cause one of these little ones to stumble or sin, woe to you. It would be better if you had a large millstone around your neck and you'd be thrown into the sea if you cause one of these little ones to stumble. Run after righteousness. Lord, Holy Spirit, help us as young pastors, as pastors, to more and more in our life be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's the whole goal of sanctification, isn't it? Romans 8, 28. Everybody knows that. And we know that God works in all things for our good. Well, what is the good? Verse 29 tells us what the good is, that we would be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That they would see Christ-likeness more and more in us as a pastor. It's one of the greatest things you can give to God's church is Christ-likeness. I remember uh, years ago at a Banner of Truth conference, Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. He has these amazing abilities for powerful illustrations. And he likes golf. And he was telling or illustrating this whole truth about being Christ-like and knowing Christ. And um, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, imitate Christ, or imitate me as I imitate Christ, or follow me as I follow Christ. And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson was talking about a time he took his son to a PGA golf tournament. I'm not, I, I, I don't golf, and so I don't know all the terminologies, but he was on a fairway, got up by the rope, because he wanted to get a good view of their golf hero, which at that time was Jack Nicklaus. And his son was standing by him. Jack Nicholas is coming down the fairway. And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson was talking about how he looked at Jack Nicholas. And then there was this uh, 
glance back from Jack Nicholas at Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. And it was one of these kind of looks like, do I know that guy from somewhere? And they're looking at each other like that. And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson noticed that his son was watching this. And then in amazement, his son said, Dad, do you know Jack Nicholas? And Dr. Sinclair Ferguson said, at that time, I wanted to say to my son so bad, son, Jack and I are like this. <laughs> and the impression of a young son. Now, he then just nailed it when he said, and isn't that the way we should strive and pursue wouldn't that just be great glory to God and comfort you as a pastor if people under our care said, Pastor, do you know Jesus? And by the grace of God, we could say, Jesus and I, we're like this. Young Timothy, young pastors, flee the evil desires of youth and pursue and run after righteousness, Christ-likeness, and all that you say and all that you do with the sheep and the lambs that God has entrusted to our care. Not only run after righteousness, pursue faith. And faith here I take to to be especially that confidence, that uh, assurance, that strength that we have in God and his sovereignty and in the scriptures, uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, as you know so well here at Westminster and here over and over again, that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Isn't that great? To know that all that we need uh, is in the scriptures to be competent as pastors battling against false teachings and false teachers, contending for the faith, speaking the truth in love, we can have this faith, this confidence in the power of the gospel, in the scriptures, that it is sufficient to help people know Christ and to live a godly life and to worship God acceptably in spirit and in truth. I thank God for Westminster Seminary on a weekly basis. I'm committed to do it more and more, uh, to pray for the professors here who have been called by the Lord Jesus in a unique calling to contend for the faith, to teach the scriptures well. But Westminster has so impressed upon me this confidence in the scriptures, and I am so grateful for that help that it's been to have such faith to pursue in pastoral ministry. I am... uh, Mindful also of Luke chapter 16. Do you remember when Jesus talks about the rich man and Lazarus and they both die? And the rich man is in hell. And he begins to pray in hell. And in this conversation, eventually the rich man is asking that somebody would come back from the dead to warn his five brothers. And do you remember what Abraham is saying, what heaven, what God is really saying back to him? He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. And the rich man is, no, but if somebody comes back from the dead, then they're going to repent. 
And what a huge statement about the sufficiency of the scriptures that if they don't listen to Moses and the prophet, they will not believe even if somebody comes back from the dead. And as you go into pastoral ministry, there are so many temptations to try man's methods, uh, gimmicks of the world, entertaining things. And God has given us this miracle of the Bible. He's given us the scriptures. And we're to pursue faith and confidence in God's means of grace in the scriptures. God will bless his word. Let me just encourage you with this. Um, I just, in God's providence, received this a couple of weeks ago. Um, And I read this to you because you will experience, no doubt, some of these things if you haven't already. But I want you to hear this, to take encouragement, to have confidence in the means of grace in Scripture. Uh, This comes from uh, a young woman who's now somewhere up in the upper peninsula of Michigan at a university, a member of our church. And she writes, Pastor CJ, I just want to thank you for everything you do. God has blessed my home church with a great pastor. I've been looking for a solid church where the sermon is more than just stories, but I've not found one. For a long time, it would not have bothered me to only have a 10 to 15 minute sermon where it was just stories. Now I crave a deeper sermon, double exclamation point, and then in a, a double exclamation point, and then in parentheses, who would have thought? I can't wait to come home for Thanksgiving to hear your sermons. It's kind of sad that the best sermons are on the radio slash computer. I'm sure that you've heard this many times before, but God has really been pushing me to write and tell you how great a gift you have. So thank you for all those years where I wasn't really paying attention, I thought. But really, God was showing me what I needed. I was just blind. Now, the reason why I read this to the elders and shared that with them is because years ago, uh, with this wonderful daughter of the king, we had to patiently, gently sit down with her when she had um, complaints and criticisms about the fact that we preach, we don't give in to uh, entertaining methods in the church, and she just went against that and it was tough but we had wonderful godly elders who patiently listened and tried to teach and show her from scripture what God wants and then years later to get a letter like this I couldn't wait to drop everything email her back and tell her Carrie I see God working in your life and I know that God is preparing you for very important work in his church in his kingdom and in his world And I give this to you because I want you to be encouraged to have faith in the means of grace, in lovingly preaching and teaching God's word, and let God take care of the details. He knows his sheep. They hear his voice. And they will, in God's time and way, uh, grow in sanctification and grace. I need that because I'm weak, because I'm human, because there's temptations to fear what men may say rather than to seek God's approval. There's times when I'm really down and discouraged because we don't always get letters like this, and it doesn't always turn out like this. There's people who don't want to hear it and will go somewhere else. Pray for them, love them, be kind to them, 
And always at the end of the day, remember, it's God's church. And we're privileged to be his servants and pastors to pursue faith and confidence in the ministry, in the word of God. And then he goes on to say, not only pursue righteousness, faith, but love. Love. Go over constantly 1 Corinthians chapter 13 in the ministry. Right? The Apostle Paul is saying, even if we can speak in the tongues of men and angels, have great knowledge, and yet we have not love. It's nothing. It's a big fat zero. And it is our constant call of the Lord Jesus who loved us to pursue, to go after love. Love God's sheep. Love even our enemies who can make ministry very challenging and very difficult. Love. L-O-V-E. L, be a good listener. Love listens to people. In our American culture, I try to remind God's people and myself constantly not to water ski over people. And what I mean by water skiing is when you go water skiing, as long as you go fast, you're going to skim across the surface. And when the speedboat slows down, then you sink and then you go deep. And in our American culture, we go so fast in our rush, rush life, we skim across people and we don't go deep into their hearts and into their lives. And if we're not careful as pastors, we can do that in the ministry. Go, go, go so fast we don't slow down in love to listen to them and to find out what are their joys, what are their fears, what are their hurts, and what are their failures, what are their challenges. Pursue love for God's people, and in doing so, learn to be a good listener. I found in the ministry, and I'm still learning, that when people come to the pastor's office and they have a whole list of complaints or problems, usually the first four or five aren't really the real issue. And as you learn to be a good listener and ask appropriate questions, eventually the heart and real reason of why they're coming will surface and come out. And then you pray for the Holy Spirit and the scriptures to help shepherd them and guide them in love. Be a good listener. Oh, learn to overlook a lot of sins and peccadilloes. Right? Love covers a multitude of sins. Now, I'm not saying by any means that we're ignoring repentance and forgiveness, but there's just a lot of areas in our own life of these irritable things, irritating things, that if we nitpick, if we look for the speck in our neighbor's eyes, we fall into this trap of not being very loving. And what love does is it reminds us all the time of God's great forgiveness to us in Jesus Christ, this huge unpayable debt. And it helps us to give to Jesus some of the things we may be quick to notice in other people that just irritate us or turn us off and instead respond to them in love. I believe it was C.S. Lewis who wrote one time that if we could see each other in our state of glorification we would be tempted to worship each other. So it's very good to be reminded that we are in this process of sanctification 
And sometimes when we're tempted to zero in on the sins and the shortcomings and the faults of others, to overcome it with love and with an eternal perspective that these are Christ's people, they have the Holy Spirit, and someday they are going to be glorified, as we learn in Romans chapter 8, that final unbreakable chain of salvation, glorification. And if we can keep that in mind, an eternal perspective, it helps us to deal with one another in love. V, value one another as image bearers of God, as dearly loved children. When we love people, we value them. They're not numbers, they're not statistics. They're children of God, made in God's image, even though that image of God in us through the fall has been so damaged. Yet, what does James say? Even careful how we talk about each other and the taming of the tongue, because sadly, we can curse people with words people who have been made in the image and the likeness of God. Remember the conversion of Saul? Remember in Acts chapter 9? And you remember when Jesus is speaking to him on the road? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute? And what does it say? Me! Now isn't that striking about the union of Jesus Christ with his people? You touch other Christians, you're touching Jesus who by the Holy Spirit lives in them and dwells in them. And so as we shepherd them and care for them and we pursue love, we remember to value them as image bearers of God and also their union with Jesus Christ, that he is in them. And positively speaking, as Matthew 25, remember the words of Jesus on the judgment day, and whatsoever you did to the least of these brothers of mine, you did it unto me. Pursue love value them as image bearers and those who are in union with Jesus Christ. And E, show love expressing it in tangible ways. Not just with words, but also in actions. That's one of the joys of being a pastor. You see it on a regular basis and you're humbled by it. It fuels your desire and your joy in serving the Lord. When you see God's people loving one another, and doing that in tangible ways. I want to tell you about a neighbor to my um, grandmother in our hometown. His name was Joel, and uh, we would talk with Joel quite a bit, and Joel um, made it very clear to me. He was one of these guys who's going to tell it to you straight. He says, CJ, I know you're a minister. You can take all your Jesus stuff, and you can... And he told me a place where I could take it, and it's not a good place. I said, Joel, that's all right. I still love you. You're my neighbor, and I'm going to be around, so you're going to have to deal with me somehow or other. But if you need anything, Joel, I'll be over to help you, okay? Just let me know. And so we try to be kind to Joel. And one day, our daughter Lydia had a school project where they had to make something, bake something good, and and bring it to somebody in need. And our daughter made some cinnamon rolls, and she thought of Joel, our grandma's neighbor. Now, Joel was by himself. His wife had died of cancer. And at this time, he um, was suffering from beginning stages of cancer as well. And I'll never forget when we went up to his door, and um, our daughter Lydia, she's nine at the time, she rang the doorbell. Joel opened up the door, and our daughter just stood there and said, Joel... I made these for you. 
And he looked at that, and this rough, tough, retired sailor guy broke down sobbing. And it cracked him. And I was standing next to her, and he was trying to do everything he could to compose himself. It was a beautiful moment of how an act of kindness and love just penetrates right even to the hardest of hearts. And then she gave him a hug, and, and he gave her a hug. And from that moment on, our relationship got better and better. And what do you know, on a Saturday morning, Joel, he's got a flat tire. He doesn't know who to call. He calls up a pastor to help him with a flat tire. I said, Joel, I am so glad you called me up to help you with your flat tire. That's great. Let's fix the flat tire. We did that. And about a couple of months later, I remember in God's providence coming down the driveway, and I saw an ambulance at Joel's house. And the... uh, Joel was in a bad way, and I just remember running up to that uh, ambulance. I jumped in that ambulance, and I said, Joel, cry out to Jesus. Remember Jesus. And I was thinking of the dying thief who just simply, at the end of his life, he acknowledged his sins, and he cried out for the mercy of Jesus. And Joel was very near eternity, and I can remember him just pointing up his hand while the EMTs were working. He's pointing up to his hand, and he's waving. I said, Joel, remember Jesus. I went to the hospital. I read scripture by his ear, and a few hours later, he died. And I don't know. It's in God's hands. But I do know that when we pursue love, it is a huge, huge, powerful Um, way to get at the heart of people um, when we express love in kind ways. So brothers, as pastors going pastoral, preach the gospel, teach the word, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, and then he says peace. Peace. Peace along with those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, as you know, said, Blessed are the peacemakers. They will be called sons of God. They show who their Heavenly Father really is because we know the gospel and we know that the ultimate peacemaker is God himself. We are reconciled to God. God reconciled to us through Jesus Christ. The wrath of God for our sins, Jesus took. We are at peace with God. We're justified by faith. We have peace with God. And now we're called And we're blessed and privileged to bring this glorious gospel to help people know the peace of God, peace with God, peace from God. And in the church, how we need to pursue pastoral ministry with a prayer and a plea to be peacemakers. It doesn't always happen. We know that from the scriptures too. Romans chapter 12, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. Pursue peace. I want to tell you uh, why Westminster also has been a huge blessing in my life and a godsend. When I was in junior high, seventh grade, I didn't know very much of the Bible or theology. And I remember we um, went to a church. In the middle of the church service, there was a fight between elders and a pastor And it made such an impression on my mind, you just can't get it out. It was one of the most horrible things that you can experience when people fight in a worship service and people walking out and crying and yelling. And our little church never seemed to recover from that. It was so painful and it was so hard for people to overcome that. 
and learn how to pursue peace. And I pray for all of us, as the scriptures commend us to do in pastoral ministry, as far as it depends on you, live at peace. And it's hard and it's difficult because we're called to be faithful to the truth and not compromise the gospel. And yet at the same time, we know there are, on this side of heaven, in all of our brokenness, we don't always agree on everything. And here the Apostle Paul is also making mention that with young Timothy. Watch out for stupid, foolish arguments that cause quarrels, word battles, and fights. And this is very hard for me to preach on, and it's hard to live, but we have to do hard things, and we have to humble ourselves and pray because... It's like major and minor surgery often, right? Do you know the difference between major and minor surgery? Major surgery is when it's yours. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's your surgery, it's major. And often I find that in my own pastoral ministry with battles. My battles are major. These are like, yeah, those don't apply to me. These are important. And we need to pray for wisdom. We need to surround ourselves with godly elders and wise people to help us discern is this a major is this a minor we need help from the scriptures constantly to pursue speaking the truth in love to pursue peace without compromising and have the confidence that God will hear our prayers and he will help us to do it as we keep the goal of edifying building up his church and pursuing peace. Anyways, when I came to Westminster Seminary, having gone through a terrible church split and seeing the ugliness of what happens, I thank God so much for God-fearing professors with pastoral hearts who labored to teach the truths of the scriptures and not negotiate the gospel. The Bible is clear on that. When the gospel is at stake, we have to contend for the faith. The Apostle Paul in Galatians 1 is like, even if an angel from heaven gives you another gospel, let him be anathema. Strong words, strong stand, in love for Jesus and for the church. And we cannot uh, be faithful servants if we negotiate that away. And yet the same Apostle Paul is saying, Timothy, watch out for, for stupid arguments and uneducated and foolish ones, and how do you know? Well, here is a general benchmark. Watch out if, if it just seems that we're breeding arguments and quarrels. And you'll find that in the church, throughout church history. Um, eschatological millennium arguments, they have their value, but if you find yourself just arguing, arguing, and you're not building up the church, watch out. Pursue for peace. It's not worth saying you're not a brother, you're not a sister because you're not pro-mill or something like that. Pro-mill being whatever it is, I'm for it. Okay? Or stay out of building projects as a pastor. That's my advice. Who cares what the color of the carpet is, how big the cross is? Just pray for the brothers and sisters on those committees. And if at all possible, stay out of music committees, help give them some theological guidance. But a lot of these things can be so huge. And yet the devil is crafty and he can cause us to get into quarrels. And I want to plead with you with one last illustration on this. Um, I'm going to tell you about a guy named Tom. He was 21 years old. 
And I remember when he made profession of faith, we always have them write a letter to the Lord. They include four questions. Who is Jesus Christ? Why do you want to publicly profess your faith and join the church of Jesus Christ? What are you going to do to strengthen your love and your commitment to Jesus Christ in the church? And what part of the Bible has changed your life? And they read that letter to the elders, to the deacons. It's wonderful. It breaks the ice. But Tom, a very quiet young man, could hardly get through his letter. He was sobbing. He was crying. It was awkward. They hung in there with him. And the reason why he was crying and sobbing is because he had come from a very ugly church split. It was so painful to him that he believed when he walked out of church that he would never set foot in a church again in his life. And he was so thankful for the Holy Spirit prevailing in his life, leading him to a church where he could be shepherded and loved and cared for. And I want to leave that with you and impress it upon you as young pastors to pursue peace as far as it depends on you. To pray with the elders regularly. Set aside a time of the week to devote yourselves to prayer other than your meetings and pray for each member on a regular basis. And watch what happens in your elders' meetings. A lot of the contention and these arguments that are susceptible to us as pastors, they go away when you learn to get on your knees and pray together and love each other and help do what makes for peace without compromising the truth of God's word. Westminster Seminary has been so blessed by God. I know it's a target. I know we have a bummer of a birthmark. Satan is after us. But we have the scriptures, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the love of Jesus. And I pray, and I promise you I'm going to do this more often too, I'm going to bring the names of professors from Westminster Seminary to our elders' prayer meeting. We pray in general, but we need to do better. Because I've been so impressed with how valiant for truth our professors are. But I'm not in their shoes as they are. They have incredible gifts, incredible skills, incredible intellects. But it's got to be very difficult to be faithful and valiant for the truth, to receive criticism and opposition, and yet to maintain these pastoral truths about doing this in love and righteousness and faith and what makes for peace. They need our prayers. And I want to encourage and challenge you here today What I saw in Dr. Julius Kim's uh, class yesterday was so spot on. It was so pastoral. A student just finished a sermon. That's a tough class. Homiletics professors, pray for them. That is a hard calling, but so important. And I watched many of you guys give so much encouragement. It was so one after another. Hey, this was great about the sermon. I really uh, learned from this. This blessed me. And then suggestions on how to improve. It was done in love. It was pastoral. And I pray that your seminary education is going to be like that so that when you go out into the church, you'll have a good memory of Westminster Seminary where you not only learned the truth, but you learned it in love and you went pastoral and you encouraged each other and you prayed for your professors because nothing here is happening by chance. It's by God's fatherly hand that he's put you together for such a time as this and gave you the professors that you have to equip you for works of service in Christ's church to be his pastors 
who are always going pastoral, fleeing evil desires, pursuing righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with all those who call on the Lord with a pure heart. Thank you for being great listeners. Thank you for being pastoral and allowing me to come here and watch what God's doing at Westminster Seminary. God has very great things for you, ahead of you, and may God help us all to continue to excel in pastoral ministry. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have so loved us and have called us to be students preparing to be pastors, to shepherd the flock, to care for your sheep, and to do so in a world where there is opposition from the evil one who will seek to try to get us off track, to fall into desires that are not pastoral. So, Holy Spirit of God, equip each person here that we may pursue a Christ-like life and have confidence in you and your sovereignty and your scriptures to love as you want us to love your sheep. And Lord, also to do for things that do things that work for peace in your church. Keep us, Lord, from quarrelsome arguments that do not help build up the church or cause us to grow in that unity that Jesus prays and desires and has died for his church. Thank you for the professors here at Westminster Seminary, Lord, for all that they teach us and guard and protect their hearts and their minds too from criticism, from unjust attacks, and let them know that you love them and we love them and we need them and use them mightily in your kingdom and your church. These things we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Copyright 2010, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.